chapter 5, verse number 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have, have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. And I'll stop there for a second. But, you know, growing up, I've always, you know, I'm not that old. I'm not, like, ancient. But I know growing up, I was always told salt's not good for you. You shouldn't have salt. Salt's evil. Salt's wicked. And then the studies came out and said, no, salt is good. Sodium is good for you, especially if you're dehydrated. Salt helps you retain whatever, whatever. They said, okay, I'll give you some salt. And then it came out, oh, you're not supposed to have salt. I remember we were playing basketball one time, and one of the guys I was playing with was, like, he was playing the whole entire game. And he, he was really started getting cramps. So I ran over to the concession stand, and he went and got some, some salt, and he poured it in his hand and started eating salt, like just pouring salt. He's just trying to, you know, I was like, whatever. Just call a timeout, sit down, and drink Gatorade or something. But I was told salt's not bad. Then I was like, okay, well, not all salt is bad. Some salt is good. I remember working in the dairy farm, and Jim would have me go and take this scoop of salt and sprinkle it over the salt or the barley grain or what was the silo, you know, the, the corn silo, whatever it was, and sprinkle it over top for the cows and make the cows thirsty. When make them thirsty, it would help with the milking process. And I was like, okay, and I would do that. And then I remember tasting it. He just tasted it. And I tasted it, and it was like, oh, there was this really, really intense salt. And I'm like, oh. And there would be times where they ran out of salt in the kitchen. They would go to the barn and put this stuff on their food. But I was just like, whoa, it was intense. It was this intense salt. On the roads in New York, they don't put brine, they rock salt. They salt the roads. And it will eat your car up. If it's not washed, it will eat your car up. And uh, so salt has its purpose. Salt has everything towards it. Now today, there's like, okay, iodine salt is not good. You need to get Himalayan, red, pink, purple, something, something, salt. And everyone's got a different thing. You know, Mrs. Dash comes out with a thing called new salt. You know, the same people who make Mrs. Dash make this thing called new salt. And some people who have renal uh, deficiencies, they can't have salt at all. And it's like, well, either salt is good or salt's bad. But everybody has a question to it. Can I tell you, as a Christian, it's good for us to be salty. It's yeah. good for us to have salt. Now, we can have too much salt. We're abrasive to other people. We're just kind of like, you know, old salty kind of guy. And nobody wants to be around us. And we're just kind of like abrasive to everybody. And that's, that's not what we need because the salt that we have has purpose the salt that we the salt that we're commanded to be has purpose look at verse number verse number three sorry verse number 13 ye are the salt of the earth that's the power of it first of all salt heals wounds there are many wounds in this world that we need that needs healing as christians we should heal there are people in first thessalonians chapter 5 that we find that there's people that we're supposed to be a heel towards we're supposed to be healers towards the lonely, the disappointed, the weak, the, those who are weak in spirit, those who are, um, the Bible says, those who are uh, feeble-minded, right? So we're supposed to help those, those who are discouraged, disappointed, discouraged, and even the brokenhearted, even the brokenhearted. Christ came to heal the brokenhearted. He said, we're supposed to be those people, that salt that has the power to heal wounds. And we ought to forgive one another, and we need to make sure we're healing wounds in our own selves because that's what we're called to do. That's what Christians ought to do. Is that we all we are, should be salt enough to that we we can heal one another and and bear the infirmities of the weak, bear the infirmities of one another, and love one another. We ought to have that salt. We ought to have that power. 
But also, salt will also preserve us and keeps us as Christians. Now, I know the Holy Spirit of God seals us in the day of redemption. And I know we're preserved and kept with Jesus Christ, but we're still also preserving one another. And the fact that if we're, you know, we can convict one another, we can provoke one another, we can be that person one with another that gets people thinking right or gets people acting right and has that healing, that healing, that healing process in us, but it preserves us and keeps us as Christians. It keeps us during trials. Second Timothy, Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. It kept Paul. You know, in the time of trials, we realize that there's something within us that keeps us in time of trials. Paul asked God to remove this thorn from him. Whatever the thorn was, and God said no. And sometimes that salt that God wants us to endure, that whatever it is, God wants us to endure and, and trust him in the end with it. But it keeps us during trials. It keeps us during temptations. Realizing that, hey, there's no temptation come upon us, but which is some, such as common to man. You know, it's not that we're going through something that no one ever has gone through before. We've been through circumstances. We've been through positions where, where hey, other people have been down the road we are. And seeing how they persevered and how they were preserved for those trials helps us persevere and be preserved for those trials. Has anyone ever gone something that no one ever has ever gone through in their entire life? I mean, sure, you may have a certain health condition or a certain physical offset, but I'm talking about, have you ever gone through something in life that no one has ever, ever in the world gone through before? No, everybody's got it sometime or another. We've gone through health problems. We've gone through family problems. We've had, we've come from, uh, some of us have come through some major traumatic situations as, in home life, you know, and God still brings you through those things. It keeps us during our testings. Job 23, let's go to that one, Job 23. Keep your place in Matthew, we'll come back to it. But in Matthew 23, this is what some things that salt does, it preserves. And we need to be preserved in the time of trouble. We need to make sure that our heart and attitude are right. We're, the guys, um, the guys are back there talking about it, and most of us back there, we're kind of talking about it. With um, with some things in life, like how do you know? How do you keep yourself right? How do you know? But he says in verse number, verse number uh, seven, twenty-three-seven. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge? Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he where um, he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, and that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. For when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot had held his steps, and his way have I kept, and not declined. And it says in verse 12, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. That's a hopeless view of God sometimes. You know, depending how you read it, depending on the context, people can sit back and say, like, you know, God's single-minded, there's nothing I can do. I'm glad that God can, his heart can be influenced by a prayer. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that God's heart can be influenced by a prayer. But uh, he performeth a thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. They say, wow. I mean, can you imagine that point of view? Well, what's the use? It's what God's going to do is God's going to do. What am I going to do? But having that same token is, hey, God has, God loves me, and I don't understand, I don't understand what He's doing in my life, but in all my ways acknowledge Him, and He'll direct my path. Right? God knows the thought He has towards us. You know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. God knows the plans He has for us, but He keeps us 
during testings. And we shut up we ought to be there to keep each other during testings, which is why church is a big important thing. But also power, you see the preserving, but it's also this perversion. And look back at our text. There's times though that salt becomes perverse. And you can have salt just to have salt. You know, salt can lose its taste, but it can still be erosive. Salt can can uh, still be there, but it loses its healing properties. Salt can still have things, but it's powerless. But it sure is irritating. You get that piece of salt in your sore, you know it. You know it, but it doesn't do anything for you. It's not healing you, and it's not preserving you. It's just irritating you. And that's what happens when salt loses its savor. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, not savior, savior, savor, its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You know, you, you know what it is? It's a bunch of it's a bunch of sand. It's all it is. The salt's been taken out of the sand, all you got is sand. Has anyone ever gotten the sand in your clothes? You're at the beach and you get sand in your clothes. Doesn't it just feel wonderful? Does that sand preserve you? Does that sand heal you? No, that sand is annoying. And it's usually inhabited by a million you know, sand fleas. And it's like you have nothing but just a heaping pile of sand everywhere you are. And it's usually covered up by, by bird poop. And, uh, and whatever else, seaweed scalp, seaweed running around it. But it gets what happens is the perversion gets setting in. And what happens is by two things... Salt loses its taste is the same thing as a Christian losing his testimony. Salt that loses its taste, I'm sorry for boring you. Salt that loses its salt that loses its taste is like a Christian losing his testimony. This happens because of lack of discipline in that Christian's life. The Bible says that he brings that Paul said he said, I bring my body to subjection, less than it means I might become a castaway, right? So it's like I don't want to lose my my ability. I don't want to let my body, my body, and not just the physical body, but even your spiritual person, be such a thing where I'm no longer useful to anybody. I'm a castaway. I'm just, I'm useless. I'm just good for nothing, and I'm cast out to be trod under the foot of men. Salt is supposed to be irritating. Salt is supposed to. Uh, have that power in it that helps people, that heals, that preserves. But you also find that provision, perversion. I remember when I was younger, I like to use this illustration a minute ago, but my mom used to can. She tried canning um, green beans. We had a garden, and it grew everything. It, it, we, we planted a lot of different things. Cucumbers, corn, zucchini, pumpkin, Watermelon, green beans, wax beans, tomatoes. The only thing that grew was wax beans and green beans. That's the only thing that grew in the garden. Nothing else grew. And I was like, this is crazy. Peppers didn't grow. Tomatoes didn't grow. Nothing grew except wax beans and green beans. My brother sat there and looked at the wax beans, waiting for them to turn green because they didn't realize the yellow beans were wax beans. It was kind of funny. But we went out there and he, we had to, you know, get out there and go pick the. My dad was like, okay, go pick, the, go pick the beans. And we go and get all the beans. We come home. We came in one day. My mom had this canning pot out there. We thought it was really cool to look at. And she was trying her best to can green beans. But she didn't add something to the mix. 
and it didn't do its job. It boiled the steel set and everything, but later on we went to take the, take the green beans out and they were rotten. They didn't taste good at all. They were rotted. Things didn't go right. And what my mom didn't do is add the salt. And when you can, when you're canning things, you've got to have a preserver. And that's the same thing with canning fruits or anything else. You've got to have something that preserves. And that salt is a preserver. And we got to have one another in there to be preserved in the time of, to be preserved blameless. We've got to have those people in our life. We've got to have one another in our life that we hold accountable to that provoke one of us to say we're not turning out to be perverse in our dealings as Christians. Look at chapter four, Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. When only do we see the salt, we also see the shining. Now, this is not talking about the movie or the book. But this is talking about the shining and what we are supposed to be as lights. The Bible says, ye are the light of the world. Now, we know in John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Right? He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But he says in John chapter 5, ye are the light of the world. So now we're the light. And it's interesting when we know the light of God is in us, the entrance of God's word bring, giveth light. But here we are as believers, we're that light. Christ is, Christ is ascended to heaven. He's no longer the light of the world because he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. So you can find that in John, like John 8, 12. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. He's not in the world anymore. We're the light of the world. So we find that with Christianity, he says we are the light. Since we are lights, we are told to go forward and work for him. And Mark chapter 16, the Bible says, let your light, you know, it talks about our light shining brightly and go and preach the gospel to all nations, right? Go to all the world and preach the gospel. So it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have that. But we're also supposed to be light one to another. We're supposed to shine that light in dark places. So that um, when we shine our light, we are supposed to shine our light brightly. There's a song that says, let the lower lights be burning, right? I remember when I was in, when I was in uh, New York, we went to Connecticut, <laughs> Connecticut on a, on a couple days. One of the church members' stepfather was dying, and we went out there for a quick visit for the funeral and everything. And while we were there, I went to the I went to the headwaters of the of the um was it Delaware River? I don't know what river it was. It was out there. Might have been the Connecticut River. That makes more sense. But whatever river it was, we're out there, and and um I remember seeing this lighthouse. It was just sitting there, and the light wasn't shining. Nothing was there. It was all boarded up. Graffiti was everywhere. I was like, that's kind of crazy. I mean, here we are. I get that, hey, we live in the world where we got flashlights and battery-operated this and battery-operated that. But that lighthouse was just inactive. It didn't work. And I was like, that's kind of crazy because this close, I mean, the river was wide. It was pretty rapid, pretty fast. But, I mean, I would want to know where the rocks were at. I mean, surely they got to have some way of helping them get to shore on a dark night when the power's out. And then I started hearing this faint, this faint, um, distant like horn sound and it was a good while off and i was like what is that and i remember going out the next day and kind of looking at it and there was a lighthouse still all boarded up no light was shining and i'm like huh and you can get out and park your car and you kind of walk down over the over the over the the rocky cliff and everything you go down the end and there's a beacon far far down there's a beacon way out on the rocks way out where nobody want to walk to and yet there was a battery beacon there's a, like a you know a beacon out there and when the power, when the light would go off, when the lights would go off, that light would come on. And that light was the one that was guiding the ships to the harbor. That was the one that was guiding the ships upon the water, was this beacon way out, way out of when no one could see it. 
And here you, and that's what I got to thinking about Christians. They, they have a history of, man, they were the light of the world at one time. They were that gospel witness. And here they are, they're all boarded up. They got graffiti everywhere. The world has tainted them. Windows are busted out. Lights have been shut off. No one's home. It's just a vacant place. Church buildings are like that. Just vacant. No one's there anymore. Gospel witness is not being preached. Souls aren't being saved. People aren't attending. It's just an eyesore to the community. It's there. People, oh, it's a lighthouse, but no one ever uses it. It's that one way out. Way out where no one wants to get to it. That's shining the light. And I just got to thinking about that. Here, here's what happened to society. It got to be where churches were no longer welcome, and we had to go way out of our end. We're, we're trying to be separate from the world. The world can't affect us. We're way out where no one wants to get to us. We're unappealing to the masses. But yet we're out there on a dark, stormy night. You can still hear the foghorns. You can still hear the, the, lower, the, the, the horns beeping off and going off and sounding. But you still have that light shining up across the waters. And they know where they're at. When they're out there hopeless and hapless and being tossed in a, in a, in a raging sea, maybe it's cancer. Maybe that loved one, maybe that, maybe that family member that thinks you're a wacko gets cancer. They're the first person they call. They're the first person they message on, on Facebook. They're the first person they text. They're the first person they reach out to. You know why? Because you're that hope. You're that beacon out there that nobody wants anything to do with. You're impassable. It's too hard on the feet to get to where you are. You're kind of out there. Nobody's kind of in their business. They all know where you are in the time of trouble. They all know where to look for when, hey, the health, when the doctor comes in and says cancer. They're the first one they go to when they're, when they're lost, they lose their job, or things get rough and they don't know what to do. The church is the first place the derelict calls when they don't have enough money to pay their rent because they wasted on beer and cigarettes and, lot of, and lottery and drugs. The, the church is the first person they call. Well, why is that? Because they know you're the light of the world. They know where you are, and they don't want to be... They, they're happy with you being way down there and helping other people worse than them. They don't want to be bothered by you. The town doesn't want your light shining in their windows. They want you way down there where nobody can bother you. We live in Lake Moore, Ohio. Look, we, our church is in Lake Moore, Ohio. Look at our church. Look at the situation we're in. We're, you guys are out there swimming today. I was out there swimming last, you know, last week or a week and a half ago, whatever it was. I was out there door knocking. They don't want anything to do with us. Mean, nasty, hateful. But you can't tell me our Lakemore town right here is any is any better off. You know, they need this church here. They need a gospel witness. They need the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's going to be a day, and it's going to be soon, where we're pulled out of this location. Whether by the rapture or us moving to a different location, it's going to be sometime. It'll be soon, prayerfully. When that time takes place, they're going to they're going to come down looking for the church. Hey, I need diapers for my kid. I spent all my money on lottery tickets. Or I spent all my money on drugs. Or I spent all my money on this. And I can't take care of my... Hey, help me, help me, help me. Now they want to show up to church. Now they want to come down to the lighthouse and get some light. Now they want to get comfort from the storm. Now they want to know what's going on. Hey, maybe their brother is out there lost at sea or lost in the lost out there in the, in the, uh, the harbor. They need to get brought back in. And the storm is so tossed. They're just shining. They're coming to you and saying, Hey... Ed, can you shine your light a little bit longer? Can you shine your light out there a little bit longer? Can you maybe preach the gospel one more time? Hey, he's in the hospital bed. He's eaten up with cancer. Or maybe he's, he's psoriasis, liver, whatever's going on. Can you maybe give the gospel one more time, Ed? Ed, could you pray for us, Ed? Hey, Josh, can you help us out a little bit more here? Hey, could you maybe read the Psalms? Can you come by and do a hospital visit? Hey, my mom is dying, sick and dying at home. Will you pray for us? That happened to Brother Ed and I out here like last year. Remember that guy came up? 
And I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't believe in God. Though, but will you pray? I'm like, you don't believe in God, but you want us to pray for your mom. And I said it straight like that. I said, that's kind of hypocritical. You want us to pray, but you won't come to church. Well, I don't believe in all that. I said, obviously you do. You wouldn't be asking for us to pray. Would you like us to ask in the name of science? Or the higher power? But the world knows where we're at. And there's going to be a time as Christians, you know that the people around the world that want nothing to do with your light shining in their life are suddenly going to want the light shining in their life. Sadly, that day is going to be where all it's going to reveal is shipwreck. Sadly, that's going to come to a place where you try getting around the light because men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they don't want the light shining on them. When that light shines upon their life, they're going to see shipwreck. And they're going to say, well, hey, Christian, can't you pray to ask God to put his magic wand over my life and fix it? Sorry, it's not fairy godmother. Okay, What you're asking for doesn't exist. If you would have paid attention to the warnings of, of, my, of my light, if you would have paid attention to the horns going off and the beacon and all that was going, if you would have paid attention the whole time I've been here, been acquainted with the lighthouse, it would have been great. But now you're headed to ruin. Now your life is a disaster. Now you want me to do something? Now you want God to intervene? Christians, we are the light of the world. The Bible says a city that is set on a hill cannot, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. A city with many lights cannot be hid. It's impossible. It's impossible for one person to hide his testimony. But It's possible for one Christian to hide his testimony, but many together cannot be hid. That's what church is about. We provoke one another to good works. Notice that it was the, notice that it was the sinners who called the followers of Christ. It was the world, excuse me, that called the followers of Christ Christians first. They were called Christians first at Antioch, right? They were first considered Christians at Antioch. Because they were together, singleness of heart, serving God. And if our, in the Bible, what does the Bible talk about our light and singleness of heart and in, in, in light? If we have a single, if we have single vision, right, of our whole eye, be, you know, talks about our whole eye. If we're, if we're united, our light is bright. But here we are, you know, back in the, you remember back in World War II with the whole um, air raid sirens? They had people, people's job would only go out at nighttime and yell to people, turn off that light. Hey, turn off your light. Draw the shades. Turn off your light. And that's what they would do. Walk up and down the street, turning off lampposts and yelling at people, turn off our lights. The world today is telling us to turn off our lights. Governors, mayors, senators, they're out there telling you, health leaders are out there telling you, hey, turn off your lights. Don't go to church. It's too dangerous. You know what's sad is some churches complied when it first came out. But they didn't want to rock the boat. Well, guess what? You rocked the boat. You didn't rock the boat. You forfeited it there. And now they're not going to, not going to hold it to it. By the way, you know like working on Sunday. I remember when I was working, when I was a young kid and I started working, I told them I could not work on Sundays. Okay? When you start a new job, you tell them I cannot work on Sundays. This is important. Unless you work at Chick-fil-A. Okay? Like, I cannot work on Sundays. <laughs> Like, okay, no big deal. Okay, we'll, we'll work around that. I cannot work on Sundays. It's a religious conviction. I will not work on Sundays. It is meant for church and the Lord's Day. I will not work on Sundays. I did that. And then, the, then they came in and said, hey, Tim, got some overtime on first shift. And if you can work some overtime and work this pickup on first shift, that job opening you can actually go for. you got the first chance at that job. But you got to work on Sunday. 
our son Gabriel, that, I, that growing up, I, op I had most of my life as a kid, up until, my t until I after I graduated high school, I lived by principle. But then I started living by pattern, my dad's pattern. And I purposely took that shift and I started working on Sundays. But when I said I could no longer, I could not work on Sundays, I was never offered that position. But when they came to me and offered me, if I worked on Sundays and give me that position, I took that overtime and I got that position and I lost my Sundays. And I can never go back and get my Sundays off. Well, what happened? I started living by pattern rather than by principle. My dad worked on Sundays, no big deal. And I lost that opportunity to work on Sundays, to not work on Sundays. You say, it's not a big deal. Well, it is. It takes you out of church. It sets, the wrong, it sets the wrong pattern. So I'm saying if you go and get a new job, make it perfectly clear you cannot work on Sundays. And you will not work on Sundays. I know Daniel's looking at maybe switching jobs if you haven't already. He's like, you know what? I want to go and get a new job. Okay, we'll make it perfectly clear you cannot work on Sundays. It's absolute I will not work on Sundays. I left, I left that job, and I went down to Florida. I just started going to college down in Florida. I started working a full-time job. And I said, okay, well, here's the shift. And I said, hi, time out. I cannot and will not work on Sundays. It will interfere with church. I cannot work and will, it will, it will, I cannot work hours that will interfere with church. Okay, yeah, no problem. We'll work around it. We'll work around it. Hey, mandatory overtime came around. Hey, I'm sorry. you got to work the 6 to, six to 2 shift on, sun, on Sunday. Nope. Can't do it. Why not? It will affect with church. Can't do it. i got to be off for church. Well, you know that's never going to happen. Yeah, okay. Promotions come around. I'm sorry you can't work it because this shift is a Sunday morning shift, and you got to work the Sunday morning. You can't have it because the church says I won't get the promotion. So be it, but I won't work it. I will not miss church. I just won't. The world says, hey, you're kind of crazy over that. Well, you know what? I would rather, as a young person, I would rather set the By the way, and I know some of us have to work on Sundays, right? I'm not saying go quit your job. What I'm trying to tell you is if you ever get a chance to work another job but you have to work on Sundays, say no. Say no to working on Sundays. Let them know you can't do it. But what I'm trying to say is here in California or down the road or whatever, the governor says no, 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 and you, you control, you power to the government, and now you're crying and pleading and begging because you want to get back to having church where the government says no. Well, you kind of already forfeit that right when you cower to him the first time. And you, you can only lose your, you can only lose what is, which is precious once. Think about that. We we set up rules for young ladies and young men. Don't touch. Don't mess around. Huh? Or old men. Don't mess up. Don't do it. Don't do it. Save yourself for marriage. Why? It's not because some kind of special, magical... It's because it's God's blessing on your life. Amen. Don't lose what's precious. Don't lose what you can't regain. I would rather give that to my... to my, to that. I would rather have it given on the wedding day than any other time. You know what I mean? But it's just in that scenario. But in everything in life, with everything, don't give that which is precious. Guard your heart. Hey, your father gave your father gave you inheritance. Don't let the king take it from you. Don't let the king take it from you. Even if it costs you your death. Okay, I'm not saying that we should take death over COVID, not closing your church over COVID. I wouldn't say I'm not going that radical. Some people have. I'm not. But I'm just like, hey, look at uh at all costs, fight. 
But we rolled over the first time, and now we can't stop the rolling. We've got to be consecrated. Common sense. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Common sense. You put your light where people can see you. <laughs> Don't hide it under a bushel. We teach that as kids, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Come on, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I know. Hide it under a bushel. Okay. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be weird. No! I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. Some of y'all never went to Sunday school. Okay, that's the problem right there. Okay? You don't know the song, you know what to Sunday school. <laughs> But it's like, let your light so shine. Let sinners see Christ in you. Let the world see Christ in you. Let other Christians see Christ in you. But also, it's not just about common sense. It's not just about the candle, but it's also about the concern. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your moderation, you know, let, let, let her, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. There you go. I had to threaten my brain with the Bible. I'm having trouble breathing with asthma. Ed says that I've got COVID. <laughs> let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. you got to let, let people know where you stand. Let people know where you stand in the faith, where you stand in life. Let your moderation be known unto all men. In serving the Lord, let it be known. You find, you find the salt, you find the shining, but also the showing. Look at verse number 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Here's the showing. So we find the salt, we find the shining, and then we find the showing. It's a simple three, point, three, simple three points in this. Number one is the plan. Let your light so shine before men. If our gospel is hidden, it is hidden to those that are lost, whom the God of this world has blinded, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them, and they believe, Right? So as Christians do not shine for Christ, how can sinners see Christ? Now, having said that, whether we shine our light for Christ or not, that person is still responsible for what they believe. I am, and I, this is something I came to grips with that comforted me, that helped me, because I felt condemned for so long that all these people around me are going to hell because I wasn't so many. Now, I get the slackers blamed for not going sewing when I should be sewing. When I was when I was in Florida, I gave up on sewing. When I was in Florida, I gave up on trying to go sewing because the pastor told me I wasn't I wasn't allowed to go sewing because I was overweight. And I'm like, okay, really? And it's kind of you're dumb, you know. I mean, walking around makes you lose exercise, but you know, helps you helps you lose exercise, helps me exercise and lose weight. So at least let me walk, you know, give me full time to be sewing. Was like, no, 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 we don't do sewing here. We don't go sewing. All right, well, hey, we're going to go on a missions trip to Africa. Anybody want to go to Africa? Sign up. Okay, well, I don't think you'd be a good testimony because you're overweight. And I'm like, okay. So what can I do? And I got to be where I was so discouraged I stopped going so many. You know what? When I started getting when I started getting convicted about not going so winning before I even came up here, when I started getting convicted about not going so winning, I was like, Lord, I just want to go so winning again. And I know there's, there's something like, 
I want to go soul winning all the time, but my body won't let me or things come up. I just can't go out. My body's not letting me go. But that's not because I don't want to go so anymore. So sometimes I just physically can't, right? So as Christians, we don't shine. Those lost people are going to hell not because I didn't witness to them. That's not why they go to hell. The Bible says in John chapter 3, it's because they believe not. How can they hear without a preacher? Well, you know what? It's not always up to me alone. They've got the gospel witness in their life, and they rejected Christ. But having said that, I still want to be the person that goes out and witness. I had a boss when I worked at the hospital. His name was Kenny. And Kenny was the first one. He was provoking me and jiding me and making fun of me for not working on Sundays. And when I got the job, I went to the first shift. He was like, yeah, some Christian you are. Yeah, you said you would never work Sundays, but here you are working Sundays, chasing the dollar. Oh. But I never tried giving the gospel to Kenny. Never tried giving the gospel to Kenny. I was intimidated by him. I was afraid of him. He could talk about everything under the world. He could talk to him about sports. He could talk about life. He could talk about him. He loved South Park. It was funny because his name was Kenny. And they always said, yeah, they killed Kenny. <laughs> and it was like he was always joking about that. But it was like he talked about South Park. Mm -hmm. this, that, it was always about something. But if you ever tried giving the gospel, well, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. If you even tried talking about the things of God, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Save it for church. I'm like, I'm here. I'm not Sunday. I'm working instead of we're at church. I can't help it. Yeah, bear with me on this one. Oh, I don't want to hear it. Save, save it for the choir. So-and-so needs it more than I do. Okay? It was a Tuesday morning. Kenny had Mondays off. He was supposed to be at work on Tuesday. And word got out, Kenny died in his sleep. Sunday night into Monday morning, he died in his sleep. And I had just seen him that Sunday. And I was talking to him about going off, and because I was going to go into a career being like um, hotel and restaurant management with Sedexco Marriott. I was going to go into like hotel management, whatever else. And he just helped me fill out the paperwork so I could do online classes and um, the community college and get classes to do this. And I was getting all lined up to do it. And uh, we were supposed to talk Tuesday morning when he came into work. And I found out he died. And my first thought was, I'm going to stand before the Lord one day with Kenny's blood in my hands. With Kenny's blood on my hands. Kenny's blood on my hands. And I'm going to stand before the Lord guilty because I didn't witness to him. Kenny didn't go to hell because I didn't witness to him. Kenny didn't go to heaven because I didn't witness to him. Kenny went to hell because he didn't believe. Kenny didn't go to heaven because I didn't go so See the difference? A person goes to hell not because God's not loving, it's because that person didn't believe. The lost people around us don't go to hell because we didn't witness to them. They go to hell because we didn't witness to them. They don't go to heaven because we didn't witness to them. They were condemned already. That takes the pressure off of us. It's only half our fault. So we're supposed to be that witness. Not only just a plan, but a purpose. They, that they may see your good works. The Philippian jailer surely saw Christ in the lives of Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, what was their gospel witness? They're in prison. Only bad people go to prison. <laughs> right? I mean, but they were singing and praising God. And at midnight, the earthquake took place, right? Surely, so he saw Christ in their lives. That's a purpose. They may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Peter and John said nothing, when, but they showed the glory of God. 
In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they're being persecuted, they're being chased, and they're being whipped, they're being flogged, they're being brought before the council. When people look at us, what do they see? How do we react to those around us? I was talking to the guys earlier about criticism. You know, one of the biggest things I don't want to go off and address the situation or address criticism is because I don't want to weaken the cause of Christ. I don't want to put a blemish to Christ's name. I don't want to keep on rehashing things that's not going to be solved this side of eternity. At the end of the day, God's going to judge. At the end of the day, God's going to requite evil. At the end of the day, vengeance is God's. Right? So that I don't want to do something that's going to take away from the glory of God. I don't want to take away... When people see me, what are they supposed to... They're supposed to see Christ. When they see me, when they see you, they ought to see Christ. When we go through trials, they ought to see Christ. You know, you never know what your weakest moment is until it comes. When you're most vulnerable. You want to know your true thought? Let a Friday morning happen to you. <laughs> Let your Friday morning happen to you, and you'll find out exactly where you're at. Yeah. Brokenhearted. Scared me to death. You know what my first response was? Reach out to Christians and have them pray. Right. Because I'm so spiritual? Nope, because I wasn't. Because I'm not. <laughs> at that moment, I was not spiritual. At that moment, I was scared, fleshly sick. The Bible says, God's not given us a spirit of fear. But a power and love and a sound mind. My man, that wasn't me. I was scared stiff. I broke more laws. <laughs> but I was scared to death. But you know what? God saw, you know, the pouring of love from other brothers and sisters in Christ showing up, dropping by, just to hug our necks, to pray with us. My wife texted family, word got out to three thousand something plus people. Easy, that fast. Word spread like wildfire. Praying, 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 praying. At the end, God. At the end, praise God. It was nothing terrible. Amen. It scared the life out of us. But you know what? Even in that, my weakness didn't show me. Didn't, didn't show Christ, but those around me did. Dropped everything they were doing to be there for us and to show forth, you know, God's grace and. and and love, and just being that light. One of the guys outside, the sheriff outside, was like, he said, he come here, he said, man, I've never, who are all these people that stopped by? I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know this guy. He just, no, there's like three or four other people that stopped by and making sure, called her by name, is everything okay? Right. I'm like, Christians. There's people I know from other churches. They said, wow, wow, that's Christians. That's Christianity. Right. You know, it takes, sometimes it takes, a problem in our life to realize the light shining around us. And when we're in the darkest moment, when we're in a place of darkness and God shines that light for us through another believer, it's encouraging. You're out in the storm tossed sea, tossing to and fro. If I'm ever in the out if I'm ever in the sea, I'm 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 just I'm scared to just just go ahead and tranquilize me because it's not gonna go easy, all right? Middle of the sea, raging sea, tossing back and forth, they'll be like, Wilson! But it's like, you know, in the middle of the sea, tossed back and forth, losing everything we have. And then, we, hey, we see out in the distance, we see a light shining. Oh, there's the shore. You're in the middle of a storm. You can't tell which way is what. You're tossed. The waves are crashing around you. wind is blowing. 
you can't get your head in, you don't know where you're at, you look at the stars, it's all dark, the storm clouds are red, you're like, where's, where's the shore? Where am I? Where do I go? Where? Oh, there's a lighthouse. Hey, there's a Christian over there shining a light. And when we're in trouble, we go to Christians. When we have heartache, who's the first person we go to? We gotta go to the Lord, right? But who do we usually the first people, the first human interaction we seek out are Christians? Why is that? Because we're drawn to the light. Because our deeds aren't evil. We're drawn to the light because we know it's warm. We know it's safe. We know that person cares. And that's why we ought to be one for another. Keep our lights trimmed and burning. We find the salt, we find the showing, and we find uh, the shining. And that's what we're supposed to be. Let's go ahead and pray. <coughs> um, Brother Gabriel, please lead us in prayer.